Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. And today we continue our study in the life of Christ as recorded by Matthew in this Gospel account. And if you can reach back into the far recesses of your mind, we began our study of Matthew about two years ago, almost two years ago. We began in December of 2008, and I chose that time of the year to begin because that would put us uh, close to the count of Christ's birth in the month of December. And in those first sermons, we started with a genealogy of Christ because Matthew is the account of how Jesus is the king. It's the gospel of the kingdom, and it tells us how that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the rightful heir. And he came to deliver his people and to begin a glorious king upon the earth in which he will come and rule in perfect peace and righteousness. And since this is the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew uses all of the available evidence to show us that Jesus was unlike any person that ever lived before. He was born in a different way. He was born of a virgin who was impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. He was protected in his birth. Uh, God, even though he was born in Bethlehem, uh, God knew that he needed to be protected. He would be the Savior. And so Jesus was taken into Egypt until the wicked King Herod had died who had sought his life. Then we get into chapter 3, and there it tells us about the extraordinary event of Jesus' baptism. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, there was the voice of God the Father who was heard from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And at the same time, there was a manifestation of the third person of the Godhead. That's the Holy Spirit who descended from heaven like a dove and then landed upon him. And so there was that glorious display of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in one passage of Scripture. And then in chapter 4, the story moves on to tell about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Jesus was so uncommon that he was able to stand against the most evil of all of the angels, the most powerful of all. He had strong temptations from Lucifer, from Satan, that dragon, the serpent, as the Bible calls him, the roaring lion. And he threw all the temptations that he could against Christ, and yet Christ was able to withstand those. And Matthew intends to show us that he is truly the Son of God because he would not sin. He was the perfection of God's law. And then in the end of chapter 4, Jesus is seen preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the synagogues of Galilee. He was healing people of all sorts of diseases, and so he was becoming famous. And there were crowds that were following him, coming from all different parts of uh, Israel and even from beyond. And then at that point, we have a pause in the narrative as chapter 5 begins. And there we have the most important sermon that's found in Scripture, the most important sermon ever preached. And this is when Jesus went up on a hillside in Galilee, and there he began to preach the Sermon on the Mount. He was telling people about life and his kingdom. And as he was teaching, the crowds began to gather there. And there were many people that came. I'm not sure how much of the sermon that they actually heard, but as they listened to Jesus' words, they were amazed. They were astonished at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority. And that wasn't what they were used to. The scribes and the Pharisees only repeated what 
They had heard others say. They quoted from other sources as authority. But when Jesus spoke, he spoke under his own authority. And they were amazed at such clarity as he explained these things and also with the boldness with which he scolded their religious leaders for their rank hypocrisy. And so we have that interlude, that preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, which may have been uh, just a few hours or at most Jesus preached it over a few days. In any case, how long it took, I don't know, but it did take us uh, over a year uh, to plumb the depths of that sermon. And still, we didn't get down to all of it. There's so much more that could be said because I couldn't even tell you all of the things that are in that sermon. It's so deep. And so we had that interlude, that interruption in the story of his life to show us that he was also a profound teacher and to show us how far short that we fall of the perfection and expectations of God. And at the end of that sermon, as I've said, the people were amazed. They were astonished at what he said. And I'm sure that they were asking himself, where does he get this kind of authority? How can he say such things? How does he teach this? Why should we actually believe him? And the answer is given to us beginning in chapter 8. And so now Matthew switches back to his miracle working power. And before, it was just generalizations that Jesus did miracles. But now Matthew gets very specific. And so we find three triads of miracles that are recorded in chapters 8 and 9. And these nine miracles in all cover the spectrum of God's power. The physical, the spiritual, and then concluding with power beyond power, the miracle of life, and that is of raising someone from the dead. And all of this was calculated to prove that Jesus was the Christ, he is the Messiah, and he will be the future reigning king. And so we begin chapter 8 with a miracle. All miracles are uncommon or else they wouldn't be called miracles. But this one has very special significance because of the type of disease from which this person was healed. So we're going to read this account from Matthew's Gospel. Please stand with me again for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. Help us, Lord, as we look into this text today, and may you open up our hearts to the message you would have us to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, that mountain, of course, is the place where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And as he descended that mountain, the crowds were asking that question, where does he get the authority? Why should we listen to him any longer? And you have to believe that because he was the Son of God, and since he was doing the work of God, and since he was proceeding according to a divinely ordered plan, that God had prepared this special miracle just as soon as Jesus came down from the mountain and had finished that sermon. And this is the healing of the man that had leprosy. Now, I'd like for us to look into this today, and, and we'll speak today, first of all, of the leper's condition. 
And this miracle was surely a fitting one because here we have a graphic illustration of what God can do, not only with a physical man, but also with the spiritual man. Leprosy was the most dreaded, the most feared, the worst imaginable disease that a person could have. There was no cure. And the worst forms of it was so certain of death that they called it a death sentence. In fact, people that had leprosy were called the walking dead. They were as good as dead. Death was on their faces. Uh, Death was in their body. Death was in their actions. And this is the way that we see this man. He, He has a disease that's reprehensible. He has one that makes him a reproach. And so first we see that he, his reproach from this ailment, and what a terrible reproach that he, that he had because those who suffered from leprosy were separated from society. These are people who were outcast. They had no place among the people. They could not attend the synagogues. They had to stay away from the general population. A leper could not enter into a walled city like Jerusalem. They had to stay outside. They were unwanted, they were pariahs, and they lived a miserable existence. I I don't have time today to go into all the horrible aspects of the disease, and it's not even clear to us uh, today if the disease even exists in the same form that it did in the time of Jesus. But it is surmised that we could be talking about here about Hansen's disease, or what we call Hansen's disease today, and that's a terrible disease for people to be infected with. Some of you may have seen pictures from our missionary to India. Uh, Tim Ekno works with leper colonies, and it's a terrible disease that just the pictures that come uh, from those places and what he shows us. It's terrible to see that deformity that's in a person's hands and his feet on his face. The effects of leprosy are sometimes misunderstood. Now, you probably heard or believe that when a person gets leprosy that Uh, body parts start falling off. And that's why you see people without hands and without feet. They might be missing ears or missing a nose, and and so you might just think that their body parts fell off. But it really doesn't happen that way because what happens is that when a person gets leprosy, he loses feeling. He loses the sense of touch. The, The nerve endings are deadened so that he feels no pain. And that's really an interesting part of this disease because it's not really considered to be a painful disease. And many of you that are, uh, live in pain, you probably wish that there was no such thing as pain. But God has actually built that into us as a life-saving mechanism. You need to feel pain in order to know that there's something wrong. But this is the problem with the leper. He feels no pain. And so uh, what happens is that when his fingers, for instance, get into a place where he would normally be very careful about that and he would back his hands out, a leper can't really feel the pain. He keeps using his fingers and he keeps working those over and over until eventually he actually wears his fingers off. Now, for example, if you're working... For instance, in your garden or whatever that might be, and you're working and you get a blister on a finger or on your hands, you'll stop. You'll you'll feel that pain, and so you'll stop and you'll dress the wound and you'll try to take care of that. And then when it feels better, then you go back to work. Well, a leper is not that way. He doesn't feel the pain. And so when he gets that blister on his fingers and when his his hands start to, to actually should be hurting, they don't hurt at all. He doesn't feel the pain, and so he keeps on working, and he keeps working until the skin and the bones are actually worn away. When you get a pebble in your shoe, 
what do you do? You stop and you take that pebble out because it's painful. But a leper doesn't do that. He doesn't feel the pain. And so a leper will just keep on walking and keep on walking until he actually wears his feet down. And that's why you see lepers with only nubs for hands and stumps for feet. So it was a terrible disease that no one wanted to get. And in order to keep people from getting the disease, in order for it not to spread, lepers were thrown out. And so they were cast out of the cities. Uh, They lived alone or among other lepers. The disease is airborne, and so a leper would have to cover his mouth whenever he passed by someone who didn't have the disease. And he never could get too close to anyone anyway because a leper is always made to stay away. And so the disease is really a great reproach. And when you get time, you might want to look into the Old Testament at Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And we have a long section there that deals specifically with leprosy. I'm going to refer to one part of that in just a few minutes. But you can see by all that information that's given in Scripture that leprosy was a horrible disease. And so God gave strict laws concerning it. The people were very careful about it. And the terrible part about it that even if a person was suspected of having leprosy, he had to be separated. He had to be put off by himself. And they had to go through a long, long process of proving that that person didn't actually have the disease before that person could be put back into the general population. And so that's the reproach that this man had. He was an outcast. It was the worst disease that a person could possibly have. And no one had ever been healed of it. No one had ever been healed of its worst forms. And that's why a person was considered to be as good as dead. Now let me stop there for just a moment to remind you that all of what I've just said is why God chose leprosy as a type of sin. And that's because sin is defiling. Sin is deep and it's shameful. It's separating. It separates you from the holiness of God. It makes you an outcast. It makes you unclean. And it's actually sin makes you loathsome to God. Now, just like leprosy, those that are infected with sin don't really feel the pain. Now, they can see the disastrous effects that sin has in their lives, but they don't get rid of sin. They don't really feel the pain of it. So they keep on in sin, and they keep destroying themselves. They love their sins, and they stay in those sins, even though they know that it's never fulfilling. And that's why an alcoholic will keep on drinking. And that's why a a drug addict keeps on taking drugs. And that's stupefying. That's really amazing to us that people continue to do that. But the effects of sin are in people, and they don't really feel the pain. They don't want to get rid of it. But it's also seen, uh, sin's effects are seen in people that have never had a drink, and in people that have never smoked a cigarette, people have never taken an illegal drug. The effects of sin are everywhere. We see it in our public school system. And there we have dens of little monsters that are growing up in our schools today. Our... our, uh, Society keeps feeding itself with pornography. Our society is sexually addicted so that every form of entertainment that we have has a reference to sex in it somewhere. And I could go on because sin has infected all of us and we keep on in sin and we're headed down that path of destruction insensitive to its effects. People die and they go to hell every day loving sin and still desiring it even more. Even though sin sends a person to the awful place of hell, they would rather enjoy those pleasures of sin for a season 
than to be counted among the people of God. Now, we thank the Lord for this, though. There is a miracle, and that is that the Holy Spirit puts it in the heart of some to seek after the cure. And thank the Lord for this today if you're saved because he makes you realize what sin does. Uh, God makes you sensitive to sin and he gives you that desire to be delivered from it. And that's what makes Paul's words even more dramatic. He says in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How could a person who has been healed from leprosy desire to go back to be a leper again? And how could a Christian who's been delivered from sin go right back to the life that made him an outcast to God? It really doesn't make sense. So here we see there is a miracle about to happen. Here is a man who has leprosy and he's about to be cured. And God put it in this man's heart to seek that cure. He saw what Jesus could do. He heard what Jesus was capable of. And he also heard what Jesus said. Now we notice, secondly, that his reverence in asking. Verse number 2 says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. Matthew says, Behold. And that's an interesting word because it intends to sound this way to the reader. Matthew is saying, Sit up and pay attention because you are about to see something that has not been done before. You are about to see the uncommon, the improbable, the impossible that's about to happen. Most of you have probably heard the story of Naaman in the Old Testament. There's a story there about Naaman who was a Syrian general. And he had a little slave girl that told him that he could be cured of leprosy. Naaman was a man who had leprosy. And so Naaman went to the king of Syria and he told him, Or ask him if he could have leave to go to Israel to find the prophet of God, the one who could heal him of this disease. And so the king of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel. Now the intention was, of course, that this man was coming to look for Elisha, the prophet of God, who could heal him of his disease. But the king sent a letter to the king of Israel. And when the king of Israel received that, he said, Who does the king of Syria think I am? Does he think that I'm God? that I can cure a man of leprosy? Now, do you get the picture in that? Only God is able to do this kind of a miracle. And so Matthew says, Behold, because God is about to do a miracle. Behold, because look, you're about to see something that only the real Messiah can do. No man could actually do this. And this is what this man expected. He came to Jesus and he worshipped him. There are three gospel accounts that record this very same miracle, and by combining all three of them, we see the reverent way in which this man came. Matthew says that he came and worshipped. Mark says that he came kneeling down to him. And Luke says that the leper fell on his face. And that's so remarkable because this man did something that a leper cannot do. A leper cannot come. A leper cannot approach people. And yet here's this man who approached Jesus. He came close to him. Now the leper was supposed to stay away. Nobody could even inhale his breath by getting too close. If you were upwind from a leper, you had to stay at least six feet away from him. And if you were downwind from him, you had to stay at least 150 feet away from him. But this man came. This man approached Jesus. 
Somehow I don't think that he thought his foul breath would have any effect upon him. And so he approached him with reverence and he bowed down before him. And so this man recognized who Jesus was. Those self-righteous, proud Pharisees, those ones who were the upstanding of society, the snooty religious leaders who had all their fine clothes and wore their phylacteries, those leather boxes that they tore, uh, that they uh, bound to their heads and to their, fore, to their forearms, those people wouldn't come and worship Jesus. They didn't come and bow before him. In fact, we find a little bit later in chapter 12 that instead of coming to worship Jesus because of all the miracles that he did, they said that his power came from the devil. But not this man. He came and he fell at the feet of Jesus and he worshipped him. And that's the way that you have to come to him. Now, you may remember that we discussed in the Lord's Prayer that very first phrase makes this very clear to us. The Bible says, hallowed be thy name. And that means that we must come into God's presence with reverence. That's recognition of who God is and who we are. And so we come into his presence as sinners, but we come to worship him. You don't ever barge in on God. And that's the way that this man came. He, he, he did not come with insistence. He did not come making demands upon Jesus that he must heal him because he had healed others. And that's something as well. Because today we have people that are, are preaching that because God has saved one, that he's obligated to save all. Now, who's the preacher who has the right to make a statement like that? Who can say that a sovereign God cannot heal whom he pleases and save whom he pleases? Now notice thirdly, his respect for the answer. The man said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He's saying, Lord, this is your decision and it's yours alone. I can't do anything to help myself. I can't offer you anything because I'm a leper. I have nothing to give you. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And isn't that different from what we hear today? Because there are people who think that they have something to offer God. Bring your good works. Bring your pretended holiness. Bring all of your self-righteousness. That's what the Pharisees did. They thought that God was obligated to do something for them because they had done so much for him. They thought we have all these wonderful works that we do. And so we're able to come to God. But not this man. When he came and he bowed before Jesus, he said, Jesus, I know that you can make me whole. That if it's in your divine, sovereign purpose to do so, you can make me whole. And what a difference that is when we approach Jesus that way. This was a declaration of faith in the sovereign God. And this is recognition that God does have the power to heal. And God does have the power to save. But it's God who's the one who decides whom he heals and whom he saves. So this man comes with no doubt in his statement. If he wasn't healed, if Jesus had decided not to do that, then I think that he still would have been saved. Now, perhaps he would have gone away with his leprosy, but he still would have gone away with the salvation of his soul because he believed. He was willing to accept the answer that Jesus would give, no matter what that answer would be. And how do I know that that's true? It's because the Scripture says that he worshipped him before he was healed. He asked for healing or he didn't ask for anything for the worship. He didn't say, God, give me something, but he rendered that out of faith. Oh, and that's different from a lot of people do, because how many times do we make prayers to God and we say, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll serve you. 
God, if you'll heal me of this problem, or if you'll get me out of this mess that I'm in, then I'll serve you. But that's not the way that this man came. He didn't come trying to cut a deal with God. And I don't think God is too interested in our deals anyway. How about coming and serving God and worshiping God simply because he is God? Those people who want to make deals with God don't follow through because if you don't come and worship God because he is God, you won't honor your deal because you're not honest. You aren't honest because you are a sinner. You are an outcast. You have to worship him for who he is. Now, secondly, we want to notice this, and we need to hurry along here, that that the Lord's compassion in this... And Mark records Jesus' compassion for the man. Mark says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Now those of you that have little faith, I told you that we would get to see this other side of Jesus. You know, for over a year, we've been reading and listening to those blistering words that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. And for over a year, we were hammered with the law and how that we are unworthy sinners and how that we're condemned to the fires of hell. When we came out of those Beatitudes, you remember they were sort of comforting words, most of them. But immediately coming out of the Beatitudes, we're plunged into this controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees And he was relentless in grinding their self-righteousness into the ground. And in the end of the sermon, he told them that they were on the broad path to destruction. He told them that they were corrupt trees and that they bore evil fruit. He said, you like those bad trees will be cast into the fire. He told them that they were deceitful workers who would be told to depart from him. He told them that they had houses that were built on sand and great would be the fall of their houses. And all of that amounted to Jesus saying, you are going to suffer the punishment of hell. But I told you that we would find compassion in the story of Jesus. And here we find it three times in rapid succession in chapter 8. The healing of the leper, the healing from palsy, and the healing of a deadly fever. And so Christ was compassionate for those who came to him for healing. And so here we see in this story the tenderness of Jesus. Was there anything in this man that made him attractive to Jesus? Do we see anything here in his person that would draw Jesus to him? Oh, there's nothing here. Here is a man who wore the clothes of leprosy. And that's another thing that a leper had to do. A leper had to purposely tatter his clothes. He had to tear them up so that when anybody saw him coming, they knew exactly who he was. He wore those old clothes and he looked like that because he was a leper. And so he had that foul breath. He had that characteristic stench of the disease. And we don't read very much in the Bible at all about compassion for lepers. We don't see any tenderness for them. We don't see anybody in Scripture risking fellowship with loathsome people that are infected with this disease. And that's another characteristic that makes leprosy such a vivid picture of sin. There's nothing in us that makes us attractive to God. In fact, the very best that we can be in the sight of God is as the Word of God says, nothing more than wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. When David pled for God not to forget him, here's what he said. He said, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities have gone over my head. 
As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and I am sore broken. I have roared by the reason of the disquietness of my heart. And that's how we appear in God's eyes. And yet, in his tender mercy, in his love and his grace, he is tender-hearted towards sinners. We don't deserve anything from God but God's wrath. We deserve to be ignored like lepers. We have no right to approach God. We have no inherent right to ask him for anything. But God is gracious and merciful. And so we find that David also says, But thou, O Lord, art full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Isn't it wonderful to be able to see that side of Jesus? You know, I I don't want to be a, a preacher of continual doom and gloom. I don't get any particular joy out of preaching about hell. But I do know this, that we are never going to understand God's compassion until we see ourselves for who we are. We are vile and wicked. We are deserving of hell. And that is why it is so remarkable that we as lepers receive tenderness from the Lord. Now, secondly, we see here the touch of Jesus. He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. And again, there we see another outstanding activity of Jesus. Matthew says, behold, you're not going to see this happen. Nobody touches lepers. Now, I've said that the disease is airborne, but also people who touched things that lepers touched could get the disease. And so a leper was made to walk through the streets at a distance, and he cried out to everybody, unclean, unclean. He had to announce his presence. You see, it wasn't enough that the disease had hobbled him. It wasn't just that he walked on those stumps and his hands were nubs. He also had to cry out his condition. And so he had to let people know that he was coming. He had to let them know he was around. He can't sulk and with stealth and because of embarrassment for the situation, this condition that he's in, he can't sneak in among the people hoping they won't notice him. No, he has to say it. He has to loudly declare that he's present there. Unclean, unclean. That's what he has to cry out. And he shouted that out because no one could chance touching a leper. But here we find Jesus ignoring the uncleanness. And Jesus did what no man would ever do. He touched him. He reached out and with healing virtue he touched him. And immediately that man was cleansed of his leprosy. And there we have another remarkable comparison to sin. You were born in sin all of your life. You lived in sin. You grew up that way. Sin is down in the very fabric of your being. But when you're touched with the healing power of Jesus, that sin is vanquished in you. Now it's true that you're still a sinner, but you're no longer condemned by that sin. You're no longer sick of the terminal disease. And that's because when Jesus touches you, when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, you are justified from all of your sins immediately. And so that means that you are as fit for heaven right at that moment when you trust Christ as if you'd already been in heaven for a thousand years. 
And there is no more to be done. There is no penance to be worked on. There is no demand that you have to help yourself fulfill righteousness. Because when you're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, you receive his righteousness. His righteousness is given to you. And the word of God says he is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so this man was touched and then immediately that leprosy was gone. There was no process for him to go through. Right on the spot, Jesus canonized him as a saint. Whole and healthy, fit, saved, redeemed, saintly, physically and spiritually ready for the kingdom of God. And just one touch, that's all it took. Now thirdly, then we see the Lord's commands. In verse number 4, And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now that first command seems very odd, doesn't it? Jesus says, See thou tell no man. So what is that command? Well, the command is, You must silence your excitement before the people. Now, how can he do that? Here is a leper. He's just been healed from a hopeless disease. How can he not tell anyone? How could he keep quiet? I mean, how could you not go home shouting all the way, running through the streets and telling people, I've been healed of my leprosy? Why don't you head home first? Why don't you tell your family? Why don't you get it out in the open? And there's much speculation as to why Jesus told him this. Usually the conclusion is that Jesus did not want the crowds following him looking specifically for miracles. Jesus didn't want to be the circus act that did these kinds of things, and he didn't want his movements to be, to be hindered by the crowds. And perhaps that's part of the explanation. But can you think about how hard that must have been? Don't tell anybody. How can you not tell anybody? And you know the sad part of this is that now that we have been Christians for a while that we think that we're living under that command? Shh, don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Don't tell anybody that you've been saved. Keep that quiet. Oh, sure, I, was, I had leprosy. Sure, I was healed from my leprosy. But I'm not going to tell you how to be healed, even though you're a leper too. And so we keep quiet about it. And we think, wow, we must be living under a command of silence. Stealth Christians. I mean, we are the best that there ever was at keeping that secret. Secret agents for God, that's what we are. Now, if you want to know some dirt on somebody, I can tell you that. But I can't tell you about anything that's divine. I'm sworn to secrecy over that. Well, Jesus had reasons for that command, and I believe that we find it right here in the text. Now, he hasn't told you to keep silent, but he did tell this man, and the reason is found in the second command. He says, show yourself to the priest. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, let me refer you back to the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus said in Matthew 5, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now here we have Jesus. He hasn't yet been crucified. And so that means that the ceremonial law hadn't yet, had not yet been completely fulfilled. And so Jesus was going to do exactly what the law commanded. Now the leper had been healed 
And now that healing must be declared to the priest. So a sacrifice has to be offered. Now I'd like you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 14. And here is where we find all of these restrictions that are put upon lepers. They must abide by the law. And there are no exceptions to this because the people have to be protected. And so this man cannot go back to the city. He cannot go back to his family. He cannot mix and mingle with the people until he had been declared whole and healthy by a priest. And so in Leviticus chapter 14, we find the law of sacrifice for the cleansing of a leper. Now, I don't have time to read the whole passage because this is a very involved ceremony. And here's just a part of it. Now, notice verse number 1 in Leviticus chapter 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp. And that's because lepers were not allowed in the camp. So the priest goes forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. Then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds, alive and clean, and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Now let me just deal with this part of it, because this thing goes on. This is an eight-day cleansing process. It includes the sacrifice of a lamb for a trespass offering. There was oil that was used for a wave offering. Oil was put on the head of the one that was cleansed. Some of it was put on his right ear. Some was put on the tip of his right thumb. Some was put on the tip of his right toe. Then there was a sin offering. There was a burnt offering. There was a meal offering. All of this is done for atonement before the Lord. And every part of it has its special significance. And they had to go through this entire elaborate procedure in order to declare this man to be whole. But I want you to notice this first part that we just read about the birds. One bird is killed over running water. And then a living bird is dipped into the blood of the dead bird. And then the blood of that bird is taken and sprinkled seven times on the leper. And then the living bird is dipped into the blood. And then that living bird is let loose and he flies away into the open field. Now, here's the picture that we have, and this is really a great symbol. Because the bird that was killed represents Christ that was crucified on the cross. The blood that was collected represents the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sin. We must be washed in the blood of Jesus. And the living bird that's dipped in the blood and then turned loose, that's a picture of Christ's resurrection that he arose from the dead, that Christ was loose from the grave, that the pains of death could not hold him, and so now Christ ever lives for us. And so what we have here is this elaborate, time-consuming procedure. Every part of this has to be fulfilled exactly as it was given by Moses. And Jesus was not going to circumvent that law, because what did he say? I have come to fulfill the law. I didn't come to destroy it. And so he tells the leper, you have to go according to the law of Moses, and you must present yourself to the priest. 
But there's another reason that we need to see this, and, and we need to get the purpose of the miracle and tie that back into the announcement that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the King of Israel. Jesus says, show yourself to the priest. And that's because the priest would have to make a very close inspection. The priest would have to go through all of this procedural stuff that we've just read, the living bird, the dead bird, and then that lamb for sacrifice, and the wave offering, and the peace offering, the trespass offering, and all of that. All of that has to be done. And so the priest has to very carefully scrutinize what's happened to this man. He has to look at it all very closely. He has to examine everything that's happened here to the ninth or the nth degree before he proclaims that this man has been healed of his disease and then let him back in among the people. Why is that so important for him to do this? So there would be no doubt that a miracle was done. He has to show himself to the priest and the priest must inspect it and admit there is no trickery here. There's no doubt about this. There is no denying that whoever did this must have been truly God as he claimed to be. And so Jesus says, don't stop to tell anybody. You go do what the law requires. Do exactly as you are told, and then God will be glorified. Jesus said, do this as a testimony to them. And folks, that testimony to the priest was far more important than the testimony to the people. How are you going to get right at the heart of this matter to the religious leaders than to show yourself to the priest that you've been healed by the Son of God? So Jesus says, show yourself to the priest. That was the most important testimony. And then you know what happens after that? If he does it God's way, if he follows the plan that Jesus sets out here, he shows himself to the priest and proves it to them, and then what happens? It automatically proves it to the people. Well, by reading the other accounts, we find out that this man did not obey Christ as he commanded. He went and he told everybody. Mark puts it this way, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Now, we understand this man's enthusiasm but we cannot excuse his disobedience because always, if you are going to glorify God, you must glorify God in God's way. You can't do it any other way. And so here is the story. Matthew picks out one leper. We only have actually two places in the Bible where lepers were healed, but we know that there must have been many, many, many more that were healed by Jesus. Later on, we find Jesus in the house of a man by the name of Simon the leper. And that must mean Simon the former leper, because nobody's ever going to go to a dinner party in the house of a leper. So there was a man that was healed. Oh, here, Jesus touched him, he healed him, and the defilement of that leprosy could never affect Jesus. There was no fear in his touch, because he could heal him of the disease. And friends, that is the compassionate Savior that you need to know. He loves sinners. He died for them. He died to free every single person who will come to him for healing of their terrible disease of sin. So you need not ever fear to approach him. Don't hold back. Because Scripture says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when you come to him and you say, Lord, I know if you will, you can make me clean. That's when Jesus says, I will be thou clean. And at that moment,
The moment that you trust Him and your faith is in Him, He washes all of your sins away in His precious blood. That's the kind, compassionate Savior that we know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus. We see His compassion for sinners. We see His love for man that He was willing to come to this world to make Himself an offering for sin. And Lord, we just pray that there might be someone today who would realize what you have done on the cross, that your Holy Spirit would open up their eyes to the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ, and that they would come to you for healing. They would come to you for forgiveness from all of their sins because to know you is the only way that we're going to see the Father, the only way that we'll get to heaven. Lord, speak to some heart today. Draw us closer to you and Christians as well for having heard this story about this leper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.